Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show. Our mission is to serve you and empower you to make better financial decisions in your life. Today, I'm going to begin by telling you something you would not expect from me. It's probably not the right time for you to buy an electric car. Later, I want to talk about an angle on debt that's so often ignored. That's the health consequences, physical and mental, from carrying debt. So, electric vehicles are in intense demand right now in the U.S. and elsewhere in the world. The prices are being really pushed up. And from an economic standpoint, today, buying an electric vehicle, well, it doesn't make dollars and cents. In fact, as I've shared many times lately, whatever car you got, truck, SUV, whatever it is, as long as it's working, keep driving it. This is not the time for you to be out having new car fever. Because, I mean, man, the prices are crazy. And this is a temporary phenomenon that may not feel temporary to you because it's been going on now for, uh, gosh, the better part of two years. We've been in this shortage of used cars that came about because of specific COVID factors with the rental car fleets that I've explained before. Then the new vehicles, factories being disrupted by COVID spread in a factory would shut down and then specific parts would end up in short supply and the chips have been in short supply, blah, 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 blah. So in the scheme of life, a couple of years of this disruption is not significant, but if you are looking at a vehicle right now, new or used, it's very significant. And the answer is to wait, but especially with electric vehicles, even more with electric vehicles than gas engine ones. Why? Well, first of all, if you get any electric vehicle other than a Tesla, good luck taking it on a road trip. I mean, wow. The stories people tell about what's involved in taking a long-distance road trip today in a non-Tesla electric vehicle, it's brutal. I mean, you just want one for running around town and all that. Great especially if you're trying to lower the cost of commuting. Great. Buy an older one that doesn't have a lot of range on it, and you can get it done, and then you got a putt-putt mobile for local commuting, although they're fast. Even, even, even the obsolete electric vehicles are fast and fun to drive. But the electric vehicle thing is going to change dramatically over the next, you know, 23. We're going to see a lot, 24, a lot more models coming in the marketplace the prices of electric vehicles are headed down not up the charging networks that are so 
not sufficient for non-Tesla vehicles are actually going to get their act together. We're kind of in a pioneering phase. So electric vehicles, as much as I love the electrification of our vehicle fleet and what that does for our homeland security, what it does for our energy sufficiency in the world, I mean, it's just awesome stuff. Uh, We're past early adopters, but it's not mainstream yet, generally. The products coming out, though, non-Tesla, there are some really exciting ones. Of all companies that you would not have expected to come up with stuff that would be real buzz about of electric vehicles, Hyundai, Kia, top of the list. Who saw that coming? The people who have been lucky enough to get an F-150 Lightning have loved it. The people who have been able to get the Mustang Mach-E. The Mach-E has been a car that people have really enjoyed. And we're going to see more and more and more as more models come into the fleets that are electric. What electric makes a ton of sense right now? Selling like crazy electric bikes. Okay, so do you know that most trips we take right now by car are less than three miles, like 2.8 miles or whatever, something like that? More than half of trips we take are ultra short. An electric bike, if there are bike paths with you or safe places to ride a bike on a journey, they get there on a trip less than three miles in the equivalent time of a vehicle and much easier to park. If weather's terrible, you don't want to be stuck on that electric bike. But the electric bikes are getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. Mine is $398. Bought it at Walmart. Works great. And this is a viable alternative is cities all over the country are building bike path networks and becoming an alternative to commuting. This idea first, this is before electric bikes, just regular old bikes that you had to uh, build up a sweat. I remember reading a story where a reporter went to a number of cities that had bike paths that were congested cities, and in all three cities, riding on the bike path was quicker for trips of up to five miles than driving a car. I don't remember what publication I read that, but it was very interesting to me. It was the first time I thought, man, and now you think with electric bikes, you can be lazy as you want and just ride that electric bike and be able to commute. So the electric vehicle that actually makes a lot of sense right now, if it works in your community, is that e-bike, not an electric car. And that's said by somebody who's been driving an electric car for 11 years. And man, are they fun. But right now, the value proposition isn't there. It will be soon. We'll go to questions now. This is from Rob in Pennsylvania. Is it a good idea to buy used exercise equipment? Yes, yes, yes. Like an elliptical. I got a new (laughs) job and I work from home. My old job had a gym that I used. I'd love your thoughts. Yeah, Rob. Oh, man, Uh, Peloton, another executive just left. I mean, 
the the home gym thing was like everything in 20 and 21 and now we're back out and about and all that and so there's all this home gym equipment that's available used a lot of it people may have never used it for anything other than hanging their laundry so this is a real opportunity for you to buy an elliptical used you also can buy the best deals on ellipticals are buying the quality level that would be in a hotel had been in a hotel gym or a um, office building gym where it's not the level of equipment that would have been in a fitness center you know a, a traditional commercial fitness center but very good quality that will get a lot less use from you than it got in the hotel or the office place gym and will have years of great use in front of it and are built robustly enough that it'll be really good stuff. I actually bought a used elliptical many years ago and then found I wasn't using it recently and I resold it to someone else. So I didn't make back quite what I bought it for, but it was still in amazing condition because it was like commercial grade. Now, the record should show clearly you were the one who first told me about buying reconditioned gym equipment mm-hmm. from from hotels. Right. And that's how I got an elliptical years ago that I used day after day, had one service call in 10 years. That's awesome. This is from Anonymous. I work for a full commission brokerage house. Sorry, it's not one of your favorite children. (laughs) I am in an admin and support role and know little about investing. As an employee, I can invest for a very low cost. Mutual funds at NAV and low cost on other products. There are not any fiduciaries at my place of employment. Would it be beneficial for me to meet with a fiduciary? Okay, so wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, so anonymous, I understand completely why you're anonymous. Right. <laughs> Not only is the place you work at a high cost, high commission house, but nobody takes on the legal duty of a fiduciary, meaning that they're working in the best interest of a customer. Okay, so I need to ask you something if you're willing to consider. Do your investing elsewhere other than where you work? Um, if you feel like that would uh, that people would figure that out and it would look bad for you, don't do that. But I would prefer you do that because even if you're buying uh, most products commission-free from the firm, you're likely paying very, very, very high ongoing management fees on those mutual funds you're in that work very much to your disadvantage. I'd much rather you go to one of my favorite children, that means a low-cost financial house, to invest. And if you use the robo-advisory of any of them, or you could use Betterment or Wealthfront, you'd be paying very low costs, and you'd be getting advice that you could trust for the money you're investing. So uh, going to see an independent financial planner who's a fiduciary if you feel like you need to do all your investing where you work yes you could see somebody on an hourly basis you go to a garrett planning network person and that fiduciary could look at what you've got and guide you 
within the parameters of having to be at this high-cost, non-fiduciary investment organization with your money, what the best things would be for you to do with your money there. From David in Florida, my seven-year-old son and five-year-old daughter have been finding and selling golf balls and are making a good amount of money doing it. They will have made what roughly, about the alligators? They will have made roughly nine hundred dollars this year, and I was wondering if we could put that money into a Roth IRA for their future retirement. And if so, do I have to have them submit a tax return for their earnings? Okay, okay, no joke. I'm, I hope you've briefed your five-year-old and seven-year-old about keeping a good eye out for the alligators at the golf course. If they're getting golf balls out of the pond with one of those long sticks, one of those thingies that grabs the golf ball. Uh, but this is awesome. Entrepreneurs at five and nine years old. Uh, oh, seven, seven. And seven, five and seven. Love it, love it, love it. Yes, they can open a Roth IRA. Uh, Fidelity Investments is an option. One dollar or more is required to open that, and you do not have to file a tax return because of the amount of money they're earning in a year. You just would want to keep records showing that they did have these earnings way down the road, and that's why you were legally able to open a custodial Roth for each of these children as single digits, because that's going to be worth so much money down the road. Very important to keep that documentation for many, 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 many forever years, because if the IRS ever challenged and disallowed that, it's a big problem because of the embedded gains that would be taxable through those years. But I love it. I love it. And yes, they have earned income from a clear job they're doing, and turning it into Roth money is beyond brilliant. Okay, so something that's really rough right now, the debt people are carrying. And I talked recently about how people are stuck with debt levels. It's going to take a good long time to pay off. And you pay for that, not just with the dollars, but in how you feel mentally, emotionally, physically. We're going to talk about that coming up. Americans in 2020 reduced the amount of debt they owed by a remarkable amount of money. It was, it was shocking how much personal debt levels declined. And then there was like this thing that when we got freed from COVID jail, People did what they call revenge spending. The levels of debt people are carrying happen for many different reasons. One, it can be health issues. It can be loss of income. It can be the inflationary cycle that we've been in for a while. A number of factors can lead to levels of debt. And then that debt becomes so stressful. People fear answering their phone. Fear going to the mailbox. Fear looking at their email. Because the debt just pounds at you day after day. So much so that when people are surveyed, people in huge numbers say that the debt is causing them 
mental health issues or anxiety issues or whatever, that debt is something you carry on your shoulders. It's why I refer to debt as a disease that you want to cure. But debt happens for a lot of different reasons. It can be lifestyle choices. And those are the easiest to conquer. I mean, maybe the psychological reasons you were living a debt-based existence, those have to be addressed. But the changes required, once you're willing to, are pretty easy. And the way of getting out of debt, much more straight line than you realize. But then there are other circumstances where the debt has gotten there for all different reasons and not behavioral in any way. Life happened in whatever way. And you feel that burden. You feel it. It's hurting. That's why we have our Facebook group, Ditch Your Debt. It's one of our resources at Clark.com where people help each other out with the Ditch Your Debt Facebook group. They give each other suggestions. They give them encouragement. If I'm speaking to you and you feel sad or anxious or powerless because of the debts you have, you can get through it almost always. You can get through it. You need support from others. And never, ever, ever allow yourself to feel shame. I think about people who will come up to me and they start confessing. You know, I I did this. I shouldn't have done it. I feel terrible. Okay. The fact that you have the debt and you want to address it and you acknowledge it's a problem, that's enough. Do not shame yourself. There's a no shame zone here. What do they say about eating an elephant? You eat it one bite at a time. Sometimes you have to treat the debt that way. As I've shared recently with a question someone posted for me, if the debt just feels out of control, I know one clear, pure way for you to move in a new direction, and that is to go cash only in your life. Cash only. Because that means every week's money is a finite supply and it forces subtle behavioral changes you might not have even thought about. You look through all your monthly expenses and see what they are and what you can attack. I talk about monthlies a lot because this is a modern curse. We didn't have all these subscriptions of every kind until very recent times. Many of those things we pay for monthly are things we can reduce the cost of or eliminate. So you look through your checking account statement. If you have credit card or cards, you look through those statements. Look at what those monthly expenses are. You know, we just did this in our household last week, and it was crazy the money that we were spending for different things that now we no longer are because we eliminated them. And so taking the time, checking out where those dollars are going can make a meaningful difference in your life. Know that there is hope and there is help out there.
there are more people hurting with debt today than there were a year ago or two years ago. There are a lot less than there were, let's say, five years ago. But we're on a bad trend with the debt levels rising. So that's why I want to talk about this and get you thinking, because I don't want that stress on you. I don't want that feeling of burden on yourself. But regardless of how you got there, check the shame at the door. Let that go. Krista? Well, Wendy um, is actually in the situation that she needs some advice on here. I've accumulated a lot of credit card debt, over $50,000. I'm not charging anymore, but it will take me about 10 years to pay off the debts. Would you recommend a debt management plan? I've tried to consolidate with a loan from my credit union, but they denied me. I cannot refinance my house, nor do I want to take out a second mortgage. I'm currently paying the minimum amounts due and trying to build my savings account to at least $1,000. Help. So, Wendy, you are a perfect candidate for going to a legitimate credit counseling agency that could work out a potential DMP for your debt management plan. If you're not familiar with how DMPs work, it is a great alternative to stress and a great alternative potentially to a bankruptcy filing. There are uh, really shady credit counselors out there, and then there are the legits. You want to start your search for a legitimate one at the National Foundation for Credit Counseling at nfcc.org. When you get there, you'll be able to find, based on your zip code, a legitimate credit counselor near you. You go meet in person or virtually with a professional credit counselor. They have these forms you fill out listing all your debts. You email that to them, and then they see if they can come up with a plan for you. If your debts are as heavy as yours are, Wendy, over 50 grand, they will uh, attempt to work out payment plans with the various credit card companies, many of which will agree potentially to a reduction in the interest rate or in rare cases, a reduction to 0% interest. You said you feel like it'll take you 10 years. The debt management plans are generally designed to bring you debt-free in three or five. If you're not paying any interest or very low interest on the debts, then that may well be possible because so much money wouldn't be going to interest. Please give this a try and let us know how you're doing. And I want to tell you, I 100% support you not taking debt on against your house. That is rearranging the debt chairs on the Titanic. It is not solving the problem. Brian in North Carolina says, I've been a listener for several years. Your advice has guided my family to opening a SEP for my wife, join a credit union, move our investments to Vanguard, freeze our credit, and when we got our oldest son a cell phone, we went with Tello. Thank you. I'm writing in regards... You didn't name him Clark after uh, all that? <laughs> Just kidding. I'm writing in regards to long-term care insurance. As life expectancy continues to rise, I feel long-term care is going to be an even greater subject we'll need to address. What is your opinion on long-term care insurance, and do you have any recommendations for specific companies? So, Brian, uh, the long-term care insurance market is broken, broken, broken. Uh, this was a, a business that had 
uh, many hundreds of companies that used to quote long-term care insurance. They overwhelmingly failed at the sale of this product. They, uh, the actuaries messed up. The amount of time people lived was longer than they expected. The level of sickness they were was greater than they expected. And it just was a fail. Very few companies write long-term care insurance today, and the premiums are not guaranteed. So people end up in a cycle where they could have paid for it for 10, 15, 20, 30 years, and then all of a sudden the premiums go through the roof and people are left with very untenable choices to maintain it. The only viable alternative today is something known as hybrid insurance, product that I'm not that excited by, but it seems to work for this purpose to an extent. So you buy uh, typically a life insurance policy, a whole life insurance policy, which is traditional, I guess the closest I could say is traditional insurance. You buy it for a face amount of a decent amount of money to really make it useful for long-term care. You have to buy a face amount policy of quarter million or more. And in it, you buy a rider that allows you to use your benefit instead of in death for long-term care. Tax code is favorable on this. You won't have to worry about the premiums escalating, and you know what benefit you'll get from it. It's the amount of face amount you've purchased. If you're one of the one in three people who would never need assistance with living or long-term care, then the people who you designate to be the beneficiaries of the policy will get the proceeds. If you're in the roughly two-thirds of people who will need it, then it will pay for assistance with living, nursing care, long-term care, and assisted living facility, whatever. So this is the alternative is hybrid life insurance. It's not a bargain. It's not a deal. Be careful who you buy from. You want it to be company rated A++ by AMBEST. And it would be best to buy it from a company that is what's known as a participating company, a mutual insurer, where over the years the value of the insurance rises based on the profitability of the insurer because as a mutual, you are an owner of the company. Okay, and we do have a guide to long-term care insurance as well um, on Clark.com. And we're pretty frank on that guide that this is a difficult product to buy today. If you want to take a gander at looking at traditional long-term care insurance, just know that there are issues in that market. Jack in North Carolina says, what is the safest way to transfer money from a Visa prepaid gift card to an online ally savings or bank account? I'm always getting gift cards and would like to be able to transfer the money off of the card to put into savings rather than having to purchase something with it. Okay, so it's the most tortured, frustrating process, Jack, to convert these piece of garbage Visa and MasterCard prepaid cards. American Express has a piece of garbage product too. To convert them to cash to be able to use to put into savings or investments. These are spending cards and it's just too difficult and there are fees involved in going through very complicated steps to turn them into cash. So what you do instead is things that you would normally pay for another way, 
with cash out of your pocket or credit card or whatever, you use this Visa prepaid gift card to buy those items that you would buy otherwise. And the money you would have spent is the money you put into an ally savings account or bank account. The mentality of the banks is fee you to death and get you to spend. And so these cards are the ultimate of the worst possible idea from the banking industry, except for Zelle. Zelle. Remember, Zelle, horrible. Don't use it. Make sure it's not tied into your checking account. The banks came up with something. I don't know how they did it, but they managed to come up with something worse than prepaid gift cards, and it is Zelle. But that is it for today. And if we didn't get to your question, know that we offer free one-on-one advice and information from our Team Clark Consumer Action Center. And you can reach them at 636-49-CLARK.